Welcome back, folks, to the Classic Camera Revival. It's James Lee here, and uh, we're continuing with our series of In the Loop, uh, where we are uh, having really um, intimate and uh, personal, uh, well, quasi-personal anyway. Uh, with this guy, we might get a little personal. Uh, we've got none other than um, the really cool uh, portrait photographer out of sunny California. Not the other Justin Rosenberg, but the actual Justin Rosenberg. So let's get started. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. All right, welcome back, folks, and uh, welcome, Justin. So, so great for you to join us today. And thank uh, you for having me. <laughs> I know we're going to probably be airing this in June. Um, uh, but it is now February and it's a snowstorm in, uh, in both Texas and Toronto. Uh, mm -hmm. so how's it going in California? Tell us a little bit about yourself for those that, uh, you know, don't, uh, regularly uh, creep your work like I do on the negative positives <laughs> and, uh, and Instagram. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, to, to, to start with the weather, uh, since that is a big thing in my life, uh, it's right now it's. As uh, David Lynch would say, golden sun, yeah, golden sunshine outside, which uh, I am not a fan of, as I'm sure we'll get to talking about some foggy things. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, um, so my name is Justin Rosenberg. I'm based in LA. I was originally East Coast, New York and Florida, and I've been living in LA for about 10 years and three weeks. So 10 year anniversary. And I'm obviously a photographer because that would be weird if you had me on a photography podcast and I wasn't. And uh, welcome, just some guy, Justin Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this isn't wait. This isn't WTF with Mark Marin podcast. Uh, well, it could turn into that. You never know. There, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, like a photographer. I I obviously do some film photography, which is yep. what we'll probably talk a lot about today. I also do plenty of digital. I do a lot of portrait work. I do some corporate and commercial work. I do landscape. I do not do weddings and bar mitzvahs anymore. And yeah, I mean, that's the the, the brief version. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, uh, you're, you know, it's funny. I think we've, you and I have probably chewed a lot of the same dirt. Um, I have um, done my share of couples on train tracks. Uh, I've never <laughs> done the uh, couple in the wine glass thing though. Thankfully I, <laughs> I, was, I don't I think mean, I've done that one. I'm still too I, not to have done that one. So, so that's. <laughs> I feel like I should confess. Um, you won't see it anywhere online if anyone's stalking me after this podcast. But I too have done couples on train tracks, even though I'm vehemently against it right now. Yeah, well, you know, there, there, there's nothing. You know what's worse than a like a shooter? <laughs> so we and are going to talk about like a shooters and, and act like a shooter, and that's me. So we'll get into that a little bit later when we get into the gear section, but. Um, uh, just to talk a little bit about uh, your journey. Now, I know you've had quite quite an interesting uh, journey so far in your life. Uh, uh, you know, you're you're a uh, uh, recovering addict, uh, going mm -hmm. on several years now, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. so just celebrated ten. Oh, that's amazing! That that's what what an accomplishment. There's so many people that are that are proud of you, and it, it's a, it's a true um, inspiration that. Um, uh, you know, you, you're so open about it. And, uh, and I think that really helps people who are suffering from the same type of thing, uh, you know, to, to deal with their own situation. So that, that, that's a really cool thing. And, um, yeah, you've had quite an interesting, um, uh, path in life and, you, you know, you're, you're a survivor slash person who deals with, uh, with Crohn's disease and, uh, 
and lots of really, you know, cool things uh, that you, um, I shouldn't say cool, interesting things that you've had to deal with in your life to, uh, uh, you know, to get you where you are today. And I'm just curious, like, has the, how has that shaped who you are as a photographer? So, if at all. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, I think it's sort of, it's, it's given me this kind of perspective. Um, I mean, obviously your listeners won't know, but when we talked about it our little pre-interview thing, it's, you know, it's, it ties in, I'm a big fan of sort of duality and that, you know, you can simultaneously experience, you know, really dark, sad, depressing stuff. And at the same time, sort of light, beautiful, hopeful stuff. And, you know, for, for a long time, I didn't understand that those two things could coexist. I thought you either have to be happy or, and things are bubbly and great, or things are horrible. And there's no sort of coexistence and duality, I guess is the right word for it. Yeah. And so, Oh, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned like, um, uh, you know, pain and darkness and that sort of thing. And a lot of people, um, uh, really think, or, you know, or if you look at some of the really successful artists, the ones that have the most intriguing sort of memorable work have gone through this cycle of pain. Um, and I think everybody does go through that cycle oh, completely, of pain. completely uh, as human beings. It's part of who we are. Um, but not all of us are, are, um, as open about it and willing to embrace it as much as, uh, as you are that I, I, you know, in, in, in my brief time talking to you about that. And do, do you think that that willingness to just put it out there and, 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 you know, let me, Hey, this is who I am. Does that, has that helped you as, as a creative in, in finding who you are in terms of style and concepts and that sort of thing? I I definitely say yes. I'd sort of extrapolate out that extrapolate that out further and say it's helped me just as a person in general. Um, like example, I was talking to a friend of mine from up in your neck of the woods in, in the northern country there. And uh, you know, she's asking me about like just how I'm so open about, you know, the sober stuff, the Crohn's thing. And it's, you know, it's I just I made a commitment that I have to be open for so many reasons, but I'd say the big ones are, you know, it takes the, the the sort of the wind out of the sails of it being awkward and embarrassing and things. And, you know, like with sobriety, it's, it's, you know, like I know people who are super long sober and, you know, they just don't tell people that they're sober, that they never had a problem. And, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I'm not proud of the fact that I was a fuck up, but I'm proud of the fact that I'm not anymore. And, you know, my life is still so far from perfect in many ways, but, you know, that is something that I I have done right. And, I, and I'm extremely proud of. And I remember when I was new in sobriety that there were people who were open about it and, you know, took me under their wing, whether in sort of a formal AA sponsor sense or in sort of just people I looked up to. And the people I looked up to were the people who were sort of open about it and that they were honest that it's not perfect. It's not, you don't get sober and then get the million dollars and get the Lamborghini and get the girl and get the house. It's life is still a struggle, but that's something you it's, that's not a struggle anymore. And it's the same thing with Crohn's too. Like I remember when I first got diagnosed, I was super awkward and embarrassed about it. I was dating a girl that was early college and she knew what happened, but I would sort of like hide it. And then, you know, at one point she's like, you know, you don't have to hide all this stuff from me. Like it's totally okay. And 
I made a decision in that moment that I'm just going to be super honest and upfront about it. And, you know, that's led to beautiful moments, like random people from all across the world, seeing the, you know, me talk about Crohn's and ostomy bag and poop talk and all this gross stuff and embarrassing stuff. And they shoot me a DM like, Hey, I'm going through this or my girlfriend or my cousin, would you be able to talk them down off the ledge? Cause they're freaking out. Cause they just got diagnosed and, you know, I'll spend an hour on the phone with some random person in London or wherever going, Hey, it's gonna be okay <laughs> that's that's incredible you know and I, I think that sort of um like uninhibited sort of view that you you take on your life and sharing with others like uh, you know i'm a big fan of your of your work uh i i got to uh well i feel like i got to know you really well on um on the visual uh listening to you uh, uh on the visual revolutionary uh podcast got probably i think that's probably a Three or four years ago, you might have done. Yeah, that. I think that was December. I think we recorded that November, December, two thousand eighteen, and it came out like January. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I just thought I'm like, wow, this guy is like just really cool and just uninhibited and just doesn't, you know, kind of care, you know, for lack of a better word, for putting on a mask about who they are, and just you know, this this is this is me. And then I, you know, and I, I, I saw your work like uh, on, on negative positives and started following you on Instagram and stuff. And I really feel like your work, your experimental work, I know you have a very sort of structured corporate side that we'll, we'll talk about uh, a little bit, but your, your work. And for those that, that haven't followed JSR photos on Instagram, I really recommend that you do if you're, especially if you're a portrait uh, shooter and, um, and like really like interesting, um, uh, full of intrigue type of, of, of photography. And I, I think that your openness, in my opinion, anyway, in my humble opinion, for whatever it's worth, um, I think it really allows your subjects to also feel like they can open up as well. Is, is, do you, is that a, do you find any yeah. parallels in that? Or? I mean, I think so. Again, like, like, like sort of like we were talking about the other day, I'll kind of bring it back up, but, you know, like, example, going out to some foggy forest shoot with someone I've never worked with before, you know, people assume that when we're doing these shoots that it's like six hours of shooting. The reality is it's 45 minutes of shooting and six hours of driving around. You get to know people sitting in a car for that long. Um, You know, and usually it's rare that I will just work with someone a day after, you know, messages and emails, whatever are sent, you know, so it's, it's, I don't want to say I only work with friends. It's absolutely not the case. Many of the people I work with become friends, but it's, I have to know that they're not just, reaching out to me to work, whether it's paid or just for fun, whatever, it's sort of irrelevant almost. I I need to know that it's not like, I just want to look hot on the beach. Like there has to be something more. The more doesn't have to be defined, but it can't be just about like, oh, this is just a pretty photo. (laughs) Like something that's not mechanical, like one of those mechanical sort of paid for, you know, I mean, hey, we both shot weddings. So we both got (laughs) a list of must have shots where it's Mm -hmm. like, Thank you, ma'am. This is not my first rodeo. Um, yeah, yeah, we will take a picture of you and your parents. I promise. No, no need to yep. write it down. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, this, yeah. This, this morning I was shooting for a restaurant and, you know, I knew the exact seven dishes they were putting out in the exact three angles of each thing. And, you know, as, as long as someone understood F stops and shutter speeds didn't have to be me taking the pictures, but I like money. So I say yes to these things. Well, of course. Yeah. We all have to put food on the table and, and pay bills. And I see you're drinking a LaCroix and I forgot mine because I was messing around. Oh, yeah. 
LaCroix, if you're listening, um, I know we've talked about this and you love my work, but it's a little too, I hate the word edgy, but edgy to sponsor me, but I beg you to reconsider. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, we're both fans of, of LaCroix, by the way, too. I am addicted to the peach pear flavor and have six cases in my garage. It's 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 a very sad existence that we both live. But, uh, <laughs> yes, my, mine's key lime is my current one and grapefruit. And there's four in my closet and i just ordered five more this morning on amazon <laughs> their sales are going up after this the 30 listeners of the ccr are going to be all over that uh, lacroix they, they should pay us <laughs> but really interesting you know as 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 a as a fellow portrait shooter i can I, I can relate a lot to what you're saying about getting to know your subjects really you know having a rapport before you get in front and behind the camera is mm-hmm. is just of, of critical importance and I'm curious, like how your style has changed over the years. Like, uh, you know, one of the things that I struggled with um, as a, as a creative, as a photographer, uh, was my own ego. And I really feel that ego gets in the way of finding what your style uh, truly is and how you see uh, things. Um, because with ego, we tend to, at least in my opinion, we tend to um, think about what we want and what could be rather than where we are and who we are and what we can do by being present in the moment. And I've, I continue to work really hard uh, doing that, particularly when I'm preparing for uh, a portrait shoot. Um, Sometimes I'm successful at it. Sometimes I'm not, but I'm curious uh, if you had a similar process or what your, what your process was like along with kind of your journey is, you know, how your style evolved and kind of, you know, opens you up to do these like just ridiculously amazing uh, uh, photographs. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, I don't think your listeners will see this, but I actually am blushing. So thank you. Um, so you, you're, I'm going to tackle your questions sort of separately. And if I forget the second question, just remind me. So sure. we'll talk more of the, the sort of stylistic journey, if you will. Um, first off, I hate this question. And I completely understand why you asked it. It's my own lack of ego that struggles with this question because it's just something that I've always not quite been able to articulate. So um, uh, foreshadowing to your listeners, I probably won't answer it as great as they're hoping, but I will try. Um, So my sort of journey, it's, you know, like I've always been into landscape stuff. Um, I remember it was early college, like 2002, 2003, and my degrees have nothing to do with photography, but I was into photography then. And I took a photo of the Everglades and I used to wear a lot of spandex and do like long distance bicycling. It's a whole other side of my life that I got out of, but, um, I literally really... think you're the same person because I yeah, went it's... to for business. I cycle, I drink LaCroix <laughs> and I shoot people. With there cameras. you go. With cameras, yes. Clarify in case any government agencies just to belong tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. Good luck. <laughs> but uh, no. So I was on like some bicycle forum or something, and this lady yeah. Kim, she's like, "Oh my god!" I was just posting a picture of the Everglades because I brought my camera out on a bike uh, again back in Florida. And uh, she's like, I want to buy that print. I was like, you can have the print. I like never in my mind. It was like, oh, I could make money with this. And she's like, well, I believe that an artist should be paid. She's like, how much do you want? I'm like, I don't know how much an artist should be paid. Tell me what size I'll print it. And you send me what you want. And uh, so I did. And I think she sent me like 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever it was. I don't remember. And I just, I got her check or something or PayPal. I don't even know if PayPal was around back then. I was like, holy shit you can actually make money doing this. So that was like the first 
seed planted and right. then you know i was on again off again with photography through the years and then grad school and fell out of it a little bit blah blah, blah. flash forward to 2007 and uh my uncle ships me out a nikon d70 <laughs> which was a great little camera <laughs> and um I just really got into it, like heavily, heavily got addicted to it, if you will. And just that was, you know, the sort of like the model mayhem days and oh. the try everything and anything under the sun. So, uh, you know, one day it's landscapes, the next day it's babies, the next day it's, you know, going to my coworkers and sticking a Nikon 14 to 24 in their face, like right in their face, bringing it into Lightroom and bumping that clarity slider up to a hundred and thinking that I was Annie Leibovitz. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I, I want to, you know, part of sobriety is you're supposed to make amends and I'm, I'm starting to think that I should make amends for some of the God awful portraits that I did in 2007. <laughs> really bad. I hear Yeah. I, yeah. I have some like freak myself. Yeah. Those, those, those fake HDR portraits, you yeah. know, like, yeah, but they're, they're all on there on my Flickr and no, oh, your yeah. people won't find it. Cause it's under a different name that I used back then. Um, but they're there. Uh, but then, you know, I'd have these sort of, you know, like my friends, you know, I was kind of in, you know, what you would call the the sort of like music scene and the rave scene and the heavy metal scene, you know, like all good 20 somethings in South Florida. And I started my getting invited to shows and shooting live shows and like big name DJs and all this stuff. And then, you know, so that led to just meeting new people and kind of like weird, dark, sort of twisted, conceptual, you know, your people can't see, but I'm doing like fake quotations here, conceptual stuff. And um, so, you know, the, the sort of the, the darker seeds were planted. Mm -hmm. And then I still love the landscape stuff. I didn't really mix the two like I do now. And then, yeah, and then I did a bunch of drugs and uh, did what every good drug addict does and sells, you know, like 10 or 15 grand worth of camera and computer gear to a pawn shop on a Tuesday. And uh, in my head, I was like, okay, I'll get this back on Thursday. Thursday never came around. And then, you know, six, seven months later, after not shooting, I moved to California to go to rehab and did that and thankfully got and stayed sober. Then someone at the rehab found out that I was the guy who knew how to use a camera. And this dude with like tattoos all over his neck comes and like pulls me out of a rehab group. And he's like, hey, so the rehab owns a nonprofit ad agency. I hear you know what you're doing with a camera. And they like pulled me in, showed me the work. And I was like, all right. And long story short, I ended up getting brought on as an intern and then sort of as full staff and kind of running their photo department. And that's where I sort of really started cutting my teeth and got to know the corporate and commercial world. And I had done some corporate commercial work back there. And then, you know, I had access to camera gear to, for free to use. And they were like, yeah, go play with it on your own practice, do whatever you want. I had tons of friends out here and just sort of that dark side kind of crept back in and just started merging sort of all of these worlds together and this is when when you talk about like sort of ego and journey it wasn't it wasn't ego driven at all there was sort of no thought with it it was just so organic it wasn't like oh this is what i want to do it's you know i've i've heard a lot of people talk about this in interviews and i like it took me a while to understand it's not that you some people absolutely set out to develop a style and totally cool it's, absolutely nothing wrong with that. For me, it was the sort of opposite. It's the style just happened. And then I realized looking back that these are the types of things that I create most, that this is what I gravitate towards. So then it was like, okay, once you realize that, then, then drill down and dive into it. 
know, really strikes me. I think it's almost like um, it's it's you let yourself you just opened yourself to just let it happen to you almost like just, you know, kind of let go of, you know, inhibitions and, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I think that really rings true in your work, because, I, you know, if I were to describe your style in one word, it would be uninhibited. Um, you know, and, and, and you have this just uncanny ability. It seems that what I read when I look at your work is that the subject is just, they just don't, they just let go of their inhibitions. They contort themselves into these ridiculous poses that you would just, you know, like if you were to, like, if you, if you were to describe the pose to me, I'd be like, well, that sounds pretty ridiculous. And then I, look <laughs> I, at I, I can't, I can't describe how to tell them to do it. It's just sort of, uh, it's, you know, how, I mean, you know, in like more sort of traditional portraiture, sometimes as a photographer, you sort of like model the pose. This is what I want you to do. Like there's my body does not just would it, like, I, my spleen would fall out. Like it just yeah. wouldn't work if I tried some of the things that, Yeah. <laughs> So you've got some, you've got some talent behind the camera and you've got some talent in front of the camera, which is, uh, you know, obviously what you need to make really good uh, people <laughs> photographs. But um, so I know you do a lot of commercial work as well. Do you, as far as your commercial work goes, are you doing a lot of that on film or is it primarily digital? Or do you mix some, some analog stuff? Primar- primarily digital. Um, and also just to sort of manage expectations. I'm not doing like crazy high-end commercial work. Like I'm not shooting for Nike or giant ad campaigns, but I have done a bunch of sh- stuff, shot a ton of brands locally, done ad campaigns, done billboards, done all that. Just not at like that upper tier. Um for the most part, it's still very much digital. There have been a few that I've started to mix in film and like getting really good feedback on that. Um, so I'm hoping as this COVID thing lifts and I'm hoping if we're re-listening to this in June that it's a lot better than when we're recording this, especially in LA. So I do want to start mixing film in a lot more if and where I can. <laughs> Do you think that uh, film is viable in the commercial space still? I do. Um, I don't get romantic about film. Um, it's just, I, there's, for me, it's, this is, I'll probably get death mail or hate mail from your listeners. Um, I don't care that it slows you down and all that stuff. For me, it kind of speeds it up instead of, you know, shooting 500, 800 photos for an ad campaign or a corporate shoot on digital, you know, I'll go and shoot two rolls of film, three rolls of film and get back and have, you know, 40, 50 photos to go through instead of 600, just to get the same four or five photos. So to me, it actually speeds up. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I, I tend to agree with you a little bit on that too. I, I don't consider film to actually slow you down. I just think it changes your approach. Like you just become a little bit more methodical. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you have to consider the cost every time you push that button. Whereas digital, yeah, sure, there's a cost, but it's literally, you know, two hundredths of a second of your time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different animal. And, you know, again, maybe, I, I know it's not just LA, but definitely in LA, there's um, there's a sort of, and I, I hate that it's this way, but it, it sort of is what it is. There's a like a sexiness with film, you know, with certain brands when, you know, I know that I can get the exact same shot digital, but they're like, oh, but you can do that in film. And then we could actually say that was on film when we post that on our brand's Instagram page and like up the cool factor sort of thing, <laughs> which works for me because it's, it's like I enjoy shooting it more. And, and again, the, the, the biggest reason I shoot film is just because I'm a nerd and I like playing with different cameras. Like it's it's just fun. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk about some of the some of the gear in one second. But before we get to that, I, just, I have one question for you. Any advice for 
an aspiring uh, commercial photographer? Um, yeah, uh, learn business as you learn photography. Cause even now, you know, a decade into it, that's, that's still my weak point. Um, is I, I suck at the business stuff. I still get uncomfortable talking about money and, you know, I hate all of that stuff, but I sort of, I'm not, I don't have enough stuff coming in that I could hire someone else to deal with that. So I'm like in this like weird middle gray area where I make enough to make a living and, you know, survive and do okay but i don't it, there's not enough to sort of like just have someone else deal with that right. um so yeah definitely the business stuff and i would say even more important than that and this this would be the same answer if if later you asked me any as, advice to aspiring portrait photographers it just anytime you're working with people like learn how to learn how to people and talk to people like learn how to be a good person and you know especially if you're like delving into you know things where like lack of clothing or less clothing like basically don't be a creep <laughs> you know and i've heard horror stories on artistic nude shoots and i've heard horror stories in the corporate and commercial world of just absolutely really horrible people who don't understand how to interact with humans. And I think yeah. that's, yeah, that's first and foremost. Um, and at the same time, like, ha, you know, at the end of the day, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not curing diseases with our cameras where, whether it's corporate stuff or just, we're making some photos for ultimately people to make money from, or just for people to look at and say, Ooh, and ah, and that's cool. And you know, so sort of have that customer mind, customer service mindset of, you know, you can be all the the bougie sort of, oh, look at me, I'm an artiste. But at the end of the day, if no one's paying attention or paying you to do it, then all that sort of like ego, as you were saying before, it's for nothing. So it's, yeah. you know, be humble. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know what? Excellent, excellent point. And I think, you know, the the, the bottom line, I, I used to teach um, uh, wedding, wedding and portrait photography uh, at the call at our local college here and um and uh you know business was part of that 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 aspect and you know i i would always tell people like um you have to decide are you a photographer in business or are you mm -hmm. are or are you a business person who takes photographs mm -hmm. and if you if you are running a business well then it's got to be the latter if you want to be successful like you can't go out and spend exorbitant amounts of money on gear because you think it's cool gear to have it you know mm -hmm. those are tools to make profit and, um, and it's a job. So you're not, you're not looking at photography as, as, an, um, as much of an artistic outlet. Um, but you seem to have balanced, um, uh, both of those. So, um, because you obviously have a very, a very successful, uh, corporate side, uh, but you I, also I do, I don't know if it's a very successful, but, but again, yeah, it, it, it works. It puts, it puts food on your table and pays your rent. Right. So, yeah, and, and it, to, to, to my discredit, you know, my, my biggest weak point in the business side is sort of marketing that it, you know, I could probably be doing a lot more things if I actually put myself that side of, like, I don't post that anywhere on social, like it's all just sort of existing customers or referrals. So yeah, maybe, maybe this will be the motivation to post, you know. Yeah. And was that a, was that a conscious decision to kind of keep, I mean, I know there's some confidentiality when you're dealing with corporate clients, of course, but, yeah. um, but was that a conscious choice to not publicize your commercial stuff as much? No, very little of what I do is conscious choice kind of tying before with what I was saying about just <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Shit happens. Like, uh, it's funny. I've been, I've been talking to, um, this is 
nice woman become friends with from like a literally a Facebook cat group. And we just keep talking about how to deal with the pandemic. And, you know, I just call it sort of surfing. Like you just, you're on the wave. So you might as well just kind of surf and ride. So I just, you know, it's, it's probably a horrible thing to say, but I just kind of just go with the flow, even though I'm not like a real hippie, so to say, it just, I don't know why I didn't spend a lot of effort marketing my commercial work, but I didn't. And, you know, now I'm like, okay, maybe I should. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about your gear then, your okay. film gear in particular. I mean, you know, we can talk about digital stuff, but then we have to change the name of the podcast probably. But uh, <laughs> I mean, um, here, I'll get that out of the way. Uh, I was Nikon for years on digital. Then I was Canon for years. Then I was Sony. And now I'm currently a Fuji. So there, that's out of the way. I've, uh, I've hit, I've pissed off everyone in that single sentence. Yeah. There's a, all three jars of the mega pickles, pickles there, there, for there, you. there. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. So what are you shooting uh, these days with fil- on film? Um, I know you do a lot of Polaroid stuff. Yeah, I do do a lot of Polaroid stuff. Um, I'm working. It's taking way longer than I thought, but I'm actually working on a, a book of Polaroid things. So I have a few Polaroid 600 cameras. Uh, my love my Polaroid Big Shot, but I think it's broken, so I might need to get a new one. And the Peel Apart film is super expensive, so I'll probably phase that out. Um, my main 35 millimeter body is a Nikon F100. I'm on my third or fourth body of those because they're great cameras but i break things um Mm. and i think that was you i was talking to a year or so ago asking about f6 right on facebook yeah Yeah, Yeah. i still want an f6 but i know myself and i know it's a great camera but i know that i will break it and probably more than one of them so i'm holding back on that but that's i would I would, um, like, I mean, if you're, if you're the type of photographer, like, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you got your gear banging around and in and out of the bag, you're doing real work with it. It's not some that's babied on a shelf. I would probably recommend go for the F5 over the F6. The F, the F6 is a good camera, but the F5 is just a tank. I had the F5. I don't know why I just, something about it. I didn't like, (laughs) and I I honestly can't like, I can't even say what I just, I had the F5 and the F100 and I kept going for the F100 more. So I was like, okay, that's the one for me. (laughs) And the the F100, it's like, it does everything I need it to do. I don't really need an F6. The the F100 is basically an F6 light there. You know, there's a Mm -hmm. few like different metering nuances and things like that. And the F6, got like a lot of bells and whistles that are it's funny like i mean you know a lot of pros don't like bells and whistles on their cameras and things like that um i I don't yeah i don't either so that's why i was like the f100 just might maybe i'll just buy like 10 of them so i know that they're covered if i keep breaking them (laughs) so it's it's almost like the the f6 was a bit of a hot mess between um a pro's camera and a prosumer's camera because you know you know camera nerds love all Mm -hmm. kinds of and bells and whistles and, and things like that. But I, the F100, I think, is, a, is an absolute, you know, well-balanced camera in terms of functionality and cost. Um, and, you know, they're, unfortunately, they're becoming harder and harder to find uh, these days. Um, if they were built a little bit tougher, a little bit better, better weather sealing, a little bit stronger bodies, I think they'd be like, you know, it, it, would, be, it would be tough to not recommend you know, having a few of those in your arsenal for sure. They're, they're great cameras. Um, and what about me? Fun, they're easy. Um, so well, sticking with 35 for a sec, I also have like a little Canon Elon seven. I was shooting an AE one for a while that I sold, but now I miss it. So I'll probably buy another one, uh, just cause it's fun little, just fun little camera, medium format. Um, my two main right now are the RZ six, seven, 
and with the whatever the 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 main lens that everyone gets with that one, the one ten, I think it is, right? <laughs> you can tell I'm not like I'm a nerd with camera stuff, but I'm not that techie and sort of remembering all the numbers stuff. And yeah. then my other main body, which I got right before the pandemic hit, was is a Hasselblad 500 CM with the 82.8 and then a, I think a 150 F4. And I oh, love yeah. that. Yeah. I've been using it through the pandemic, but I haven't been shooting a lot through the pandemic. But I'm, I'm the, every time I use that camera, I more and more love it. Like I, I had a corporate shoot um, two weeks ago for some like VC investor tech type guy from Google or Facebook. And we just did like, he just wanted one simple white backdrop headshot, which I did digitally, and then sort of like lifestyle portraits of him around his like nice Malibu home, and we did those all on Hasselblad. So I like that's an example of starting to mix those two. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I am a I'm a big Hasselblad fan. I um I have a similar setup uh, as well. I've got the 503 uh, CX with both of those. I kind of want that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, you know what? Like the only difference between the the five hundred three versus the five hundred one is the five hundred three has um, a flash exposure meter inside mm-hmm. of it. It doesn't actually have any other meter, um, okay. and it comes with the brighter acute matte screen, which but I you do can get that for my five five hundred five hundred cm. Yeah. Oh, you got. Oh, yeah. Because you. you oh, well, I, no, no. I don't have. I don't have the acute. I have some German one that some guy I bought on Facebook. Uh, uh, okay. And, it came with the stock one and then I want the acute one. And then someone recommended that I look for this one because it's, you know, it was pandemic and money. It's like, it's the best of both worlds. It's not quite as good as the acute, but it's definitely better than the other one. And it, I mean, it works. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I, I love mine. I'm, I, my, um, I'm so farsighted now in my old age, like I'm (laughs) more, I wear Coke bottle glasses just to see your face on this uh, zoom recording here. I, mean, um, I would go glasses list and then you don't have to see my face. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I think, um, yeah, like any of the 500 series bodies in Hasselblad, mm-hmm. I mean, like if you're into film, like you, you got to at least shoot one at, at some point um, in your, in your career yeah, in film. Plus I'm also like a huge, huge space nerd. Uh, we're recording oh, yeah. this literally a few hours after NASA landed the Perseverance rover. So that's super cool. And, you know, cool. like it's so cliche to say, but the Hasselblad NASA connection, you know, like yeah. I geek out on that, like that, that's besides the fact that they're good cameras, that was, it's embarrassing to say, but that's a huge reason I wanted to go into Hasselblad. <laughs> I hear you. And you know, that, you know, that's one of the big reasons why I shoot film. Like, I mean, it's, it, for me, it, 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 it's, you know, like, let's face it, film is inefficient. It's costly. It, mm-hmm. Chemicals are, you know, potentially dangerous over long exposure. Um, it eats up time that we don't have today, but, but it's I don't fun. know. I don't, I don't know it's what to nostal- tell you. It's nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> nostalgic. Like it reminds me of when I, you know, it allows me to relive my, my days in high school when I would spend hours in the dark room and um, I would use, um, you know, photography class to meet girls so I could take their photos and stuff, you know? <laughs> so I stopped that I, in my I, old age because, you know, the cops said you should stop that. But um, <laughs> oh, I never <laughs> took photography in high school, ironically. So I, I feel like I missed out on that part. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a good it was a good mask to uh, meet all the good looking chicks. But what there can I go. tell you? I, but um, also, wait, stay, so going back to medium format, I mean, yeah. I, I've 
feel like spiritually compelled to also mention, you know, I know we just talked about Hasselblad and Mamiya RZ67 and like, you know, sort of two sort of like upper end things, but I just as much, I use my little Polgo 120N, you know, I didn't, I yeah. love that just as much as the Hasselblad. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and I, why not? Like, you know, like, you know, people there, you know, there a lot of people, there's two schools of thought, I think, when it comes to Holga, like people say, oh, it's kind of a scapegoat camera. You don't have to be any good to shoot it because it's a crappy plastic lens and stuff. And I'm like, well, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think you take the factors, the characteristics of the plasticky lens and, you know, the light leaks and all of the stuff that you associate with Holga and those become tools in your arsenal. So if anything, if you can produce good work, like, you know, good, memorable good, good work is good work, regardless Absolutely. of what. my, yeah, my, like, my, my unofficial, I've been doing a sort of like multi-year longitudinal study on Facebook groups. And it is a, to a st statistically significant degree, the people who crap on Holgas usually own a minimum of two Leicas. And in their Instagram bios, they talk about that they were the Model Mayhem Picture of the Day winner in 2007 oh, in an, on April 18th or something like that. Yeah, I, I won Picture of the Day once on uh, Model Mayhem. <laughs> Um, me, me, me too. <laughs> I, I, shot, I shot it with this Nikon D3 um, there you go. and converted it to black and white, of course, you know, but anyway, um, yeah. hey, look, you know, we've all been there, but yeah, it's absolutely true. Like, I mean, you know, there's, there's two camps, I think, um, uh, or two categories in the, in the film community. Like there's, there's, there's folks that buy the gear just because they just simply love it. Like, and they know how to use it and they can actually, mm -hmm. you know, um, not, if they choose to sell, they can make money, but you know, they, they have an audience for their work. Like they've, they've got fans that support their work and encourage them and truly appreciate what they produce. Mm -hmm. And then there's folks that just buy the gear because they think it's cool to have. And it's more of a status symbol, which is, yeah. which is fine, you know, other than it's a bit annoying that it's driving up prices unnecessarily, but yes, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a former, I'm an ex Leica shooter and I, I, I'll, I'll be, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I bought a Leica because it said Leica on it. And I've always wanted one as a kid because I could never afford a Leica when I was that age, you know, like mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I had a, my first camera was a Zenit E and then I saved up some money for a, uh, um, a Minolta XG1, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, I, I, you know, it was the eighties. I'm a child of immigrants and, you know, yeah. like I didn't, I didn't have, thousands of dollars to yeah. you know go, go get myself a, a, an f3 or something like that or god forbid anything that said leica on it um so you know i i bought it because it was cool and then i realized i'm not really a fan of shooting rangefinder you know and i go back and forth and and all, all the guys on the ccr know that i'm you know i'm i'm essentially like bipolar when it comes to leica like one day i'll hate them every day i'm like best thing ever you know well, it's 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 funny because i mean again if i'm like I know we're sitting here sort of jokingly making fun of Leicas and it started because you saw my Facebook post about how I'm only coming on this podcast to shit on Leica users. But the reality is like, I've never really used one. I've held a few, but I've never actually shot a single photo with one. So I can't really crap on it. Yeah. And, you know, some of my favorite photographers shoot Leica and I don't think they're that I love their work because they shoot Leica. But the reality is I've never really used a rangefinder. I just got a Minolta Hymatic 7. My, my friend at the film lab just gifted it to me for free. I still haven't shot anything on it yet. So before I say, oh, I actually do want to invest in a Leica, 
you know, I like, do I, with my style, the way that I shoot is a rangefinder something that I want to try, you know? So I don't know what the future holds for yeah. me in Leica. Yeah. I do I love mean, Hasselblad. <laughs> I, I love the Hasselblad. I, I'm, I am much more of a, and it's nothing against Leica. And, and I agree with you. There are guys that like just shoot amazing photographs to me. It yeah. just happens to be with a Leica. It's not because of the Leica. Their you photos know, you, would be great on an iPhone three. Like they're just, exactly. they know how to take a photograph. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You just happen to have the Leica in your hands. Yeah, maybe you're used to it. I mean, it's a very simple camera to operate. Ergonomically, it's just not for me. Um, you know, the, the process, the shooting process, um, I need to be in a certain state of mind to really connect with it. And then, you know, what I've realized is, you know, frankly, you know, the cost per image um, is just frankly, it's it doesn't make economic sense for me to have $12,000 worth of gear that I'm going to shoot one month of the year. Exactly. So that's the other part for me is, you know, the, the price, so to say, which I'm not, I'm not crapping on the price. I understand that good quality stuff costs, but like, you know, if you really look at my work, it's pretty obvious. I don't really care about crazy sharp lenses and high-end glass, you know, like, like I was talking to John before, like I have that nice modern 80 millimeter two eight or the Hasselblad. And it's like, it's almost too good for me. Yeah. Um, you know, like I love intentionally out of focus stuff. And like, I love, you know, that I love technical errors. Sometimes they're planned, sometimes they're unplanned. So I don't need a photo to be perfectly sharp. Like, you know, sure. In my corporate work, when there's a lot of money on the line, yeah, that's a different situation. But, you know, in sort of my main stuff, it's just like, you know, I love, I love like the, 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 um, the word, the sort of whimsicalness of not always knowing, which is probably why I gravitate towards things like Polaroid and Holga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. And that's one of the attractions for film for me as well, too, is like, I want to know, like, it, it gives me a certain sense of satisfaction with film that I created this out of a blank, you know, mm -hmm. essentially blank piece of plastic with some chemicals, you know, painted on it or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's organic chemistry. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I said to, you know, and I, and I thought like I was methodical about how I approached it. And, you know, and, and especially like when I shoot large, large format, have you, or do you dabble in large format at all? So or are you, I, I own a, uh, not a speed graphic, a crown graphic four by five yeah. with a non-working rangefinder patch. So I just use the ground glass. Um, yeah. I bought it off some like 173 year old ex playboy photographer, like a year or so ago. My and camera's got some stories. Yeah, I've taken exactly six photos with it. Um, uh, four of them were absolutely great. Two, the photo was whatever. And then one, I just completely missed focus. And I just, it's sitting in my closet. My goal in December 2020 or December 19 was to really push the four by five thing hard in my portrait work. Um, I don't know if you know Sandy. I'm, if you're listening, dude, I'm totally butchering your name. I'm sorry, Sandy Fimister, Fimmeister or something. He's I've one of you can Canadian types. Yeah. Um, but he shoots some really, really beautiful four by five portraiture, um, largely with like that arrow ectar lens, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And our work is, is somewhat similar, but it's also very different. So, you know, I just like, it intrigues me. And I'm like, I wonder if I could sort of really... You know, and that, that we talk about joking about slowing down with film four by five, it, oh, yeah. it, it does actually slow you down. Um, you know, so I kept my goal was to like really just bring it out to the forest and to my portrait stuff. And then the world exploded with the pandemic. So it's just still been sitting in my closet. <laughs> so I ha it's there. I want to do more. I just haven't. <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend that all film photographers should shoot 
a large format camera or some type of sheet film mm -hmm. uh, at some point to really learn how to get the most out of your out of your film, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't unless you're going to shoot exactly the same lighting with a roll of film, but you know, with obviously one one negative, it's a lot easier. But you know, you can decide the um you can judge your scene you can meter your scene figure out what is the dynamic range of this scene where do i want to place my shadows in this scene where do i want to place my highlights in this scene what is the range look like and um now that i know that i can develop this negative in a certain way to get the absolute most tone tonality and texture out of that image to really um you know achieve what was in my mind's eye. So, you know, I think if you really want to grow technically as a photographer, and obviously it'll help you grow artistically as well. Um, but I think to learn the technical aspects of film and metering and developing and printing uh, some type of large format, some type of sheet film, sh you know, you should really get to know that because I think I learned that first when I, when I started taking photography and I think that's kind of made me into a very technical kind of shooter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people ask me, well, how did you meter that scene to get this to work and that to work? <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, it's, I just used the zone system, but I put my little twist on it, you know, and it's, you know, I might place my shadows, you know, one stop under one and a half, two, three, sometimes like, you know, really depends, but, um, but to understand that relationship, I think large format, I think everybody should try it. Um, plus you get the additional movements, uh, like uh, even if it's a press camera, you get the front standard movements and things like that. Yeah, so I mean, you, you, yeah, I would you know love to see, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you I know would my love work. to see what you do. You know, <laughs> yeah. With that. Like it, especially like some of the, the, like you're saying the, the sort of focus movements and playing with that, because I'm not just about like everything has to be perfect focus. And you know, like I do want to sort of put my spin on four by five and it may be a complete and utter failure, but I do need to give it a little bit more effort as the world comes back online. <laughs> I find like in your work that there's this certain like almost um, uh, inherent uh, feel of um, like vulnerability and a certain mood that you get, uh, you know, with your shots, um, with your, with your, like your experimental portraiture, I guess, for lack of a better word, I don't know what, mm -hmm. what you would call non-traditional portraiture. I, I just, suppose. I, I call it photos. I, I, it's so cliche, but like, I hate, just, just me, like, it doesn't bother me when anyone else labels it. I just hate labeling my own stuff. It's just, it's yeah, just, well, it, I mean, yeah. I hear you. We're our own worst critics, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't want to pigeonhole our pigeonhole ourselves, but um, but I just find like there's this consistency of this sort of sense of like uh, of vulnerability with your subjects. Like they just seem to just kind of let themselves go in your work, and I can tell just in you know in, in the few conversations that we've had that you have this ability to put people at ease. So that's really certainly a God-given talent, I think, in, in many respects. But, you know, and I know you mentioned it before about like, you know, you want to be successful at, at shooting people, you know, be a good person. Um, you know, are there any, have you had any challenging situations where like, you know, you're just like, this shit just ain't working for me. Have you ever had to pull the plug? On a shoot? Um, never had to, never had to pull the, pl uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever had to pull the plug. I mean, there's absolutely shoots that I do where, you know, not every photo is, is something that I care to post, but I don't think I've ever, like, I've been pretty lucky. I haven't really had any like horrible experiences, you know, like it's not like we drive three hours out 
to a forest and like it turns to complete shit and I just, you know, drive back in complete silence and like, oh, cool, thanks. But later, like it's, it's, I've been sort of very fortunate in that um, I've, I've had some shitty experiences in my corporate work, which I know is not that, but like I've worked with some really rough clients before and just really awkward situations. And, um, but in sort of my, my, my general portrait work, whatever you want to call it. Um, no, I mean, again, there's times where I get back a roll of film, you know, 36 shots on the, the F100 and, you know, 30 of them are things that I will space out and post because I absolutely love them. Three of them, I missed focus, not in a good way, in just sort of like completely fucked it up. And then mm. one of them, I accidentally took a photo of my foot as I was falling on an icy cliff. <laughs> you know, and then there's other shoots where I go out and it's like, all right, you know, we only got five keepers, you know, and like I talk to a lot of the people that I shoot, especially when it's just for fun. It's, you know, it is really, it's so cliche, but like these, a lot of people have become my friends and it's, it's just going to drive and sort of hang out. And if we come back with one photo, that's great. Fantastic. If we come back with one photo, that's mediocre. Fantastic. If we come back with no photos and had a good time, got some coffee up in the fog in the forest. Fantastic. And if we come back with a hundred photos that are great, it's all the same to me. Yeah. It <laughs> sounds like, you're, it sounds oh, like ahead. you're really kind of motivated by, it's more of like a relationship building exercise almost like when you're, yeah, when you're I mean, at, 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 at the risk of using that word, because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Like I'm not necessarily, like I'm not using cameras to sort of meet people, but it, yeah. the, at the other side is I am using cameras to meet people. Cause this is sort of my way of interacting with the world. I'm extremely introverted. Um, I'm a bit of a sort of hermit, you know what I mean? I'm not like just sort of like hiding in a basement all day. I'm social, but you know, like that's, I really like mainly only go out when cameras are involved. Um, and it's just sort of, it's, it's my, it's my language to the world, which sounds so bougie and artsy. And I hate that I just said that, but there's, there's some truth to it. <laughs> Yeah, hey, hey. and look, and memes and memes nothing. and memes. I do and memes. Love memes. Yeah, well, of course the memes. You are the king of all memes. I will, I will, I will uh, certainly confer that honor upon you for sure. It's uh, if you're ever interested in uh, in some interesting uh, memes and you're you're having a rough day, just uh, take a look at JSR Photos uh, Instagram feed. It, it will uh, it'll change your life. It, I promise. It's 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 sort of like there's two different people. There's like my Instagram stories, which are just some really awful, horrible, hilarious, and inappropriate memes, and then there's my photography, which is like looks serious. People think my work is serious. There's it's not really as serious as people think, but they're the stories and the photos are two very different things. <laughs> So I know you're a big fan of uh, of fog in your in your backgrounds and and in your element. It's one it's one of the you know very common element that, that I've seen in your mm -hmm. work. So what is it about fog? Is there is there anything to that? Is am I going to get too cerebral if we talk about fog, or is it like what is it about fog? No. So it's it's funny. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day, explaining some weird views I have on consciousness and free will, which is a whole other thing, not for this podcast, but I, I started going like deep diving it. And she's like, do, do, do you realize you just went to Jupiter with that? Like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. So I, we can get cerebral with fog, but I'll, I'll keep it sort of, we'll go to Mars, not Jupiter. How's that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm trying to tone down the cursing here out of respect to, um, you know, some, some, potentially conservative people in your audience, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Fog is 
fucking magical. Um, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it, I talk about this in my bougie little artist statement. It's, it forces you to like be present in the moment, you know, when I'm out in the forest and the fog, you know, you look around and depending on sort of the density of the fog, you can only see 20, 30 yards, the hundred yards, whatever it is in any direction. So it's, it's, you're right there. You, you have to be present because the world still exists. You know, and I'm, I jokingly, like I'll post a lot on social media and up in the fog and I'm like, Oh, 7,000 feet above politics and all the world's problems. And, you know, I know when I'm standing there, whether I'm shooting a portrait, whether I'm just alone on a trip for landscape stuff, whether, you know, I go out to drive the same forest and just drive and not shoot a lot, but it's the world exists outside on the perimeter of all that fog stuff. But when I'm in it, it's just, it's, it's, I'm in it. That's the only real way to describe it. And, Mm. you know, it's, it's for lack of a better word, a sort of spiritual experience to me. And, you know, and I'm not, it's not escapism. It's not that I'm just going to hide in there and get away from the rest of the world. Mm. It's just like, this is, this is my moment to sort of exist in, you know, in just a, in a very peaceful state. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the big thing with me. And, um, and same thing, like even driving in the fog, like there's people who are in the car, they're like, how are you not nervous driving in this? And I'm like, cause, cause I'm here, I'm in this. I'm not, I'm not caring about my phone vibrating in my pocket. You know, I just, all you see is that the taillights in front of you, the headlights behind you, and you're watching the curves, the mountain roads. And you're just, you're, I mean, you're in it. It's just like, I feel alive in it. <laughs> it's almost like it, it helps you just be connected to the environment that you're in. Like, yeah. you know, like, and especially like to your point about feeling or being present, like it's it just one of those things that really helps you. One, one thing that struck me as you were talking there is, um, uh, you know, I fog can be very challenging photographically in the sense that it's constantly moving and, you know, like it's making your scene like truly dynamic. Like, you know, we can control dynamics in our image by controlling our subjects and positioning the camera and stuff like that. But you actually have visible, you know, fluid for lack of a better word, you Mm -hmm. know, some type of fluidity for fluid based, you know, uh, element in your photography. So you really must be present to anticipate what's going to happen next with that fog to get what you want. So there, there is that component, especially when it's sort of mixed and like when the winds are high and it's moving and then it's breaking and there's sun patching through. 100% agree with what you said. Uh, here's the part where I'm going to drop a big secret. Um, don't tell your listeners about this. And if you're listening to this on the show, don't tell anyone I told you guys this. Fox, bring your seat off now. Uh, what, uh, no, yeah, fog is actually really easy for me to shoot in. Like I get asked all the time, like, oh, what are the challenges? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's just boring flat light and assuming it's just a thick fog layer you just if you're manually metering you meter and as long as like you're looking around and nothing changes nothing changes and then it's super i mean it's a giant soft box right because usually you're up in the mountains and you get a big thick marine layer fog and then there's the sun above it and it's just this beautiful soft box that just just 
does great stuff for people's skin. So it's less editing on that. And it's just like, I think it's actually cheating, which ties into my just, I'm lazy and take the easy way out with everything approach. <laughs> so that's also part of it. Besides all the, like the cerebral spiritual stuff I was talking about. And I acknowledge that. Yes. Like you're saying, like literally on my other screen, I'm looking, there's a bunch of fog photos and it, it was challenging lighting. So there's some really dark shadows, the sun poking through. So there are those moments too. It's, it's all of it for me. <laughs> That that's incredible, man. Like, yeah, I, you know, and I've I, never cheated. I've never cheated and used a fog machine, uh, th though. I may one day. <laughs> I you know what? I, I got to say that you've inspired me to wake up early some mornings in search for fog around here. And um, do it. And I, and I have only a handful of times, but um, I owe you that inspiration. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> and I, I got to say some of the best landscape photography I've ever taken is because of that fog like it it really does add it's just like this element of, of atmosphere of yeah. realness an atmosphere well, literally atmosphere i guess to be just ethereal when you just take them you know that are taken in fog it's just it's just a completely you know not to get too bougie and artistic about it but it just takes your work to a completely different level um i think so i can certainly um, understand your, your attraction to it. It's, that's, and so, uh, yeah, no. And then another secret that I'm going to let, you know, your, your folks in on is most of the places I shoot are really traditionally quote unquote boring locations. Like, you know, these aren't the grand canyons of the world. These aren't, you know, the popular Instagram spots. Like I'm just on a little dumpy town forest road and I love dumpy town forest roads. Like these towns have become sort of, you know, I don't live there or, or sleep there, but like they become like my sort of like little home away from homes. I know all the, like the people who work at the local gas stations and the little coffee shops. And, you know, most of my work, it looks like it's some crazy location, but it's just, just a regular road. And I'm just pulling off the side of the road and the fog makes it so that you can't see that it's not that traditionally interesting. So it, again, it's, it's cheating. Basically. I, oh, I admit it's, it's cheating. <laughs> yes. And no, or, or being efficient. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But that, I mean, that's our job as photographers, right? Like, you know, I always say the challenge with photography is, um, is taking what you see in the world. Um, mm -hmm. you know, sprinkling a little bit of what's between your ears, a lot of what's in your chest, your heart, and translating and learning the skill of putting that into your hands, into that whatever light tight box you're holding. You know, so it's really a, a balance of um, of science and of art and science, I think. And, um, uh, you know, I, I really find that like, some of the best photographers kind of have their feet in, in both pools. They've got, you know, they've got in a very, you know, they got a one foot in a very binary kind of lifestyle, very, mm -hmm. you know, black and white, you know, um, you know, very, very much a, um, uh, you know, like just a statistically based, um, very tangible kind of lifestyle. And then you have this mm -hmm. intangible outlet with art. And when you bring those two things together, you know, that, you know, literally that that's where magical photographs happen. I think it's a balance of, of everything. And, and as humans, we, we can't all, we can't, no one is just one thing, right? Like we're mm -hmm. a sum of all of our parts and experiences. And I really think that that comes through with your work and, you know, it's been so cool talking with you before we wrap up, I have one last question for you. All right. What, what would you recommend? Uh, what, what's your favorite film these days? What are you shooting film wise? Uh, I was literally saying, I'm sitting here talking to you for an hour or so on a film photography podcast. And when you just asked that, I swear to you, my brain was like, well, I wasn't prepared to answer what's my favorite movie these days. <laughs> that That's where my brain What's your favorite now? photographic film stock? 
Oh, oh um, we can talk about your favorite movie after. No, I, I don't care about that. Um, my favorite film stock. I mean, this, this is gonna be bad. I really don't have one. Um, I'd have to say, um, like on black and white, I am equally tied and comfortable and in committed romantic relationships with Triax and HP5. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everyone swears by one or the other and I just buy whatever's available that yeah. day. And I, I know there are differences, but this ties in with that I'm not super techie and I'm also not printing in the darkroom. So the, some of the reasons that one might choose one or another aren't as important to me. Mm-hmm. I love them both. Um, as far as color film, I mean, it's so generic and cliche, but you know, the Portra stuff, um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of for my indoor stuff and some fog stuff because it's, it is sometimes the fog, pretty low light. I'll do a lot of Portra 800. Um, and then I actually love Cinestill 800 T. Um, a lot of my digital work, like my first coffee table book of foggy photos mm-hmm. was all digital and they all kind of like, I gravitate more towards cool tones and sort of like the blues and the cyan palette. And, you know, my digital stuff was edited that way. And then, you know, I know Cinestill 800T, the tungsten, it's, you know, everyone does like the the gas station and neon lights and city yep. stuff and indoor and tungsten. And that's one of my favorite films to shoot in fog, believe it or not, in sort of natural light fog, because when it's scanned and developed as that tungsten film, it gives it that kind of like that bluish it almost um, looks like a cyanotype almost it, exactly it gives it like that bluish sort of je ne sais quoi however you say that in french yeah. and um you know and especially like the some of the reds do pop on that film and you know so that's definitely a fog film i'm looking at on my screen which you can't see here uh, i'd love fuji c200 in color especially for fog um and i also love the lomo films um, you know, they're, they're 400, 800, you know, they're, they're so yeah. So I basically I've, I've given you a bunch of films and not a single answer. Well, that's so, okay. Uh, yeah. I think the point is, there's really no bad film out there, you know, go out there, buy some film, have fun with it, play with exactly. it. It's all, it's always good to, you know, have like a consistent sort of go-to product. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I think, you know, you see this in sort of like the Facebook groups and the forums, people get really purist and romantic about editing your film and all this right. shit. And the reality is if I get some scans back from my lab and I love my lab, like known those guys for ages, like do their social media, they don't always hit the mark. Right. I'm, I'm like, all right, that's not exactly how I expected this to look. Then I have no problems tweaking it. And I don't feel yeah. like I'm breaking some international film convention oh, laws or yeah. something. Anybody <laughs> themselves a film a film purist um uh should really take a look at what an image looks like on a negative yeah <laughs> uh, because i'm pretty sure you're inverting that so mm-hmm. also uh, wait, wait if, we're, if we're talking about if we're talking about films uh one that i've recently discovered because it's yeah. fairly new film i gotta give a shout out to lomo metropolis i'm starting oh, yeah. to really love that in fog uh but just the landscape side of fog not my portrait stuff so i think okay. i want to do a zine of metropolis i have i have a few roles that have been sitting in my in my freezer for uh well since it came out and um i i my impression of it was i thought that it needed a lot of light so i've been saving it um but interesting fog eh Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you've, you've seen me posting some stuff and yeah, yeah. Just, I, I didn't even know that that was uh, metropolis that you were doing that with. Yeah. And well, I guess, you know, that muted color palette would really lend itself to a very mm-hmm. foggy type of uh, scene. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Especially at the green forest that just, it brings it out. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, listen, man, um, we're coming up on the uh, hour of the episode here. I really have had a blast talking to you. Thank you so Likewise. much. Um, I hope we can do this again sometime. I hope to get down to California when things are normal and, and just have a few beers with you, man. Like just, uh, I wholeheartedly support this line of thinking. I'll probably drink like a diet Coke or a LaCroix cause I don't drink, but, but, but you can drink beer. <laughs> I'll probably drink a LaCroix too. Just, you know, because, you, well, you know, cheers to that. Cheers. Mine, mine's in the garage. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so where can we find you? How can uh, people see your work? Uh, so I'm on Instagram as JSR photos. So JSR for Justin Seth Rosenberg, cause I'm an idiot and I own justinrosenberg.com 10, 15 years ago and forgot to renew it. So someone else took that name. So I switched to my initials. So JSR photos, same thing as the website, jsrphotos.com. And then my landscapes, the, the landscape only stuff is not currently.com and then not underscore currently for the Instagrams. And we don't need to know my cat's Instagram because that's just an LA thing. By the way, I have five cats. There you go. So yeah, you, I gotta bring, I gotta invite you to this this cat group. I want to give a, the cat group oh. shout out if that's okay. It's called Disapproving Cats. It's like the group is just it's angry cat photos, and our cat is the sweetest thing in the world, but he just makes these angry little faces when he yawns. And yeah, he's he's famous. Cats are the most adorable assholes on the planet. Like I mean, yes. you know, they are. Yeah, talk about duality. You own a cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the or bipole. <laughs> Probably, probably being closer uh, fitting, but, uh, but yeah, thank you for having me. Like this was fun. I'm always happy to talk. And you know, again, I've, I've known you so to say for a couple of years. Yeah. Spoken a bunch of times. Got to really speak the other day. And yeah, yeah. this is awesome. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. On uh, likewise for sure. Um, it wouldn't be the CCR without saying a uh, uh, interesting tagline. You can be as creepy uh, or an outro rather as you know, creepy or not creepy as you want. I can get you started if you like. Yeah. Okay, hold on. No, wait, wait. Because obviously we can edit. Let me let me think about something. Um, does it have to be photography related or just in general? No, you just say this is Justin Rosenberg and say your thing. All right. Okay, you ready? Uh, this is Justin Rosenberg, and I know this has nothing to do with photography, but I've been really deep diving into philosophy and neuroscience, and I'm not entirely sure that free will is a real thing. Wow, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watch people like reach out to me. I don't care about your work. Tell me more about that. <laughs> and we'll be joining uh, Justin on the uh, on the philosophical podcast uh, right after <laughs> this episode. But uh, thanks again, Justin, so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, this is yeah. James Lee. Uh, if you want to find your style, let go of the ego and just be there. There you go. <laughs>